went in, had a brief meeting with Lorne. He was very polite, very, you know, businesslike. And I had a good, a good meeting with him. And then the funniest part was that the, the, the meeting ended and he said, and I quote, he goes, well, everyone else seems to want you here, so that's fine. And then he just sort of turned away and I was like, well, I guess I'm leaving. And that was my cue to leave. And I was like, okay, everyone else seems to want you here, so that's fine. It's like, that sounds like I got the job. So, but I had a show to do that night. I had a 7.30 show just about to go on stage. And then I got the call from Seth Myers and goes, that's his way of saying you got it. Sketch comedy whiz and improv master Neil Casey is a two-time Emmy-nominated writer, actor, UCB veteran, father, and pilot. He's toured with Amy Schumer, acted on screen in comedies such as Veep, White House Plumbers, Other Space, and Making History, and he was even a writer for Saturday Night Live in 2012. Listen in as Neil spills what really went on behind the revolving door of the SNL writing room, the rules of comedy, what he calls writing into the garbage, and why K-words are always funnier. Mr. Neil Casey, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. It's yeah. a great setup you have here. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah, this is the first time we're meeting mm -hmm. in person. I'm super excited by this episode because you have a pretty fascinating background. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. That's so true. for those that don't know who you are, and well, we'll get more into the specifics, you know, maybe give everybody just a quick glimpse of, uh, of of who you are. Okay. Uh, my name's Neil Casey. I'm um, 40 years old. Uh, <laughs> I'm a writer. Uh, I'm an actor, uh, comedian. Um, I have been doing, you know, working in comedy in one way or another for um, about 20 years at this point. I started at uh, Upright Citizens Brigade in New York, like a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And um, I started there as like a 19-year-old kid. And then I was there all through my 20s. And then I left for California when I was sort of the you know, like one on the older side of working around UCB. Uh -huh. So I did, I was the, I was the kid and then I was just there. And then I was like directing shows and teaching classes and was sort of like, you know, one of the uh, more established people that, you know, were, was directing and teaching and, and running the place. So yeah, I was, I, I'm UCB New York all the way. Um, hmm. I, uh, have worked as an actor in a number of things. I've worked as a writer on a number of things. I make most of my living, I think uh, it's fair to say as a writer, but you know, I pop up on, you know, occasionally they want to point a camera at me and I don't say no. So, uh -huh. you know, so, uh, so you grew up in the East coast then? Yeah. I'm from Wilmington, Delaware. Okay. Yeah. And I was, I, I'm from Wilmington, Delaware. I went to the university of Delaware and then I just made my way to New York. Um, Huh. Uh, in the early 2000s. Easy to make your way to New York from Delaware, I guess, right? It's not too hard. I mean, it's like when you're young and you don't know what you can't do, I guess. Like we were all, my uh, my friend Jay and I were, when we were seniors in high school, we really liked the Upright Citizen Brigade TV show, which was a sketch comedy show on Comedy Central. It yes. was like in the late 90s. And we loved that show. So we could, yeah, we would go take like, find our way to the Jersey Transit catch the train up, like stay at a youth hostel, go see shows at their theater. Cause mm -hmm. we, we, we liked the show. And then we found out that they actually had a theater. It was like a, um, Juliana, Giuliani era thing where they were shutting down all the like adult entertainment venues yep. uh, throughout New York. 42nd street. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. And this was just a little hole in the wall on 22nd street uh, in Chelsea, uh, 22nd and 7th. And the upright citizens brigade themselves who were Amy Poehler, Matt Walsh, Matt Besser, and Ian Roberts um, just took their cable sketch show money and opened a little stage so that they didn't have to be renting, you know, space to do live performances and stuff anymore. So they started this theater and then it really just became kind of the, um, the magnet for a lot of people sort of of that age, you know, under, uh, under 40 then. Mm -hmm. And that sort of that sort of sensibility that um, it just, uh, everybody gravitated towards it. It's just one of those kind of magic things that you look back on and how unlikely it was. But yeah, all these people showed up at the same time and did shows and sort of did improv sketch and a lot of careers got launched out of there. And uh, yeah, I was just lucky enough to be around. Now, what were you like as a kid? Were you like a funny kid? Like were you a class clown or? 
Yeah, a bit. Uh, uh-huh. um, yeah, I mean, I, I was a pretty good student most of the time, but there were, uh, you know, I I, I, I kind of had both sides, I think. Like, there, uh, there, there were teachers who had me who probably would say that I was disruptive in a class clown, <laughs> and then there were other <laughs> teachers who probably said that I was pretty studious. I guess it depended on the subject. Okay. Um, but uh, – yeah, I mean, I was always into comedy. I had tapes and, you know, my my buddy at the bus stop, uh, his name was Patrick uh, Flynn. Um, he he and I would like swap like tapes of like stand up sketch, like Monty Python, Firesign Theater, you know, Stephen Wright, Cosby, whatever. You know, we, we, we kind of had a, a little economy, bootleg economy of of uh, uh, comedy, comedy records happening. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I was always into yeah, I think I was a pretty funny kid. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I tried at least. Yeah. So what, uh, what inspiration did you have? Did your parents allow you to watch some of like Eddie Murphy's stuff or like what was sure, your inspiration yeah. kind of growing up? My dad was great. My dad showed me a lot of stuff. My dad gave me some of those tapes and things yeah. and, and all that stuff. My dad knew I was into it. Uh, like I remember my dad took me to see like my dad took me to see Who Framed Roger Rabbit and when I was in first grade which was pretty awesome for And a I kid. think everybody thought Jessica Rabbit was pretty hot back then, right? <laughs> I don't remember having that reaction. I mean, I was in first grade, so I was pretty, you know, it's like, I, I was a little older, I guess. Yeah, shiny dress, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I was in first grade for that, and that was like pretty mind-blowing comedically because it's like, I know cartoons, I know the rules of cartoons, I know what makes me laugh about cartoons, and yeah. then they take it, put the cartoons in real life, and then just completely turn everything on its side. I thought it was really brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my dad my dad was great. I mean, I never had any aspirations to work in the arts or anything like that, but um, I-, I liked comedy, and I did act a little. I did like Tiny Tim and the high school play when I was in middle school and stuff okay. like that and all that. Yeah. So what did you want to do when you were a kid? Like, what did you think you were going to do in your, um, probably something with computers. I was pretty uh, computer savvy. I had a, um, you know, we had a, like an apple that you could mess with, like a program and basic and program and logo and stuff like that. Um, if you would ask me what I was going to do pretty much until I was, in New York doing comedy stuff, I probably would have said that my income would be would be most likely to come from something sort of technical. Yeah. Huh? Um, something like that. So uh, were you uh, into Saturday Night Live when you were a kid? Um, yeah. I mean, it's like the 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 most like everybody's SNL era is like when they're just kind of old enough to like stay up and watch it. Right. Yeah. So like my era would have been the like Will Ferrell, Sherry O'Terry, like uh-huh. um like that Jim Carrey episode when he hosted it for the first time was uh-huh. just hilarious. I remember loving that as a as a kid. Um, but yeah, I mean, in that age when you're like staying up to watch it and you're kind of not supposed to and all that. I mean, I think totally. everybody locks into that that era. Like everybody's SNL is the SNL that was on when they were like 13 or 14 years old. Yeah. You know, right before you could drive. Uh, you know? uh, the best. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was uh, – for me, I think it was the Will Ferrell kind of days is yeah. when I grew up. But then, you know, my parents would watch the Chevy Chevy Chase kind of days of mm-hmm. the, that era, right? So then you were living in New. How did how did this all come about? I'm really curious, right? Because I know that you wrote for Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. for a couple of years. No, just one season. Just one just season. One season. Yeah. One season. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's not just one season. That's a pretty big deal just to kind of get called up to write for the big leagues. Oh like yeah, that, yeah, right? yeah. I mean, like, it's 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 great. I I enjoyed working there and I have a lot of friends who continue to work there or, or, or not, or we just, you know, went through it at different times. But, um, yeah, you know, it's a great, uh, professionally it's great because it's something everybody's heard of. So Mm -hmm. it is almost like, you know, Oh, he was a major league ball player. Yeah. You know, he uh, saying somebody was a major league ball player and then finding out that they like played for the Reds in 1979 or something is great. But if somebody was like, I pitched for the Yankees, Yankees that's a pretty through 96, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So it it is that. So it's like it's as a calling card, it's great. But um, you know, when I when people if I have like friends who are like doing commercials or something and like they they want they want to like hire me to like punch up the copy or something like that. It's like such a shorthand. It's like, oh, m- m- my friend will take a pass at this. He was an SNL writer. It's like it's almost 10 years ago. I've done a million things since then. But still, it's, a you know, it's, it's part the first your, thing on your resume. Yeah. for Sure. So um, I'm, I'm curious, though. So how did how does that even like happen? Right. Because like I can go back and watch like Jimmy Fallon's mm-hmm. auditions or Will Fallon. Yeah. Like they're on YouTube. Right. You can right. go and see it. Right. And and it's pretty obvious where the talent is when you're watching those clips. It's like, whoa, this this guy's talented. Yeah. Right. 
How does one audition to be a writer for Saturday Night Live? How does that even happen? It's not that much different from working at any show that they sort of set the parameters for their packet submission. And I don't remember exactly what mine was, but it was like write a commercial parody, write a straight sketch for the show and write. You know, they have their kind of rules. It's open ended, of course. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, it was just a packet submission. I had screen tested that that process as a cast member or, you know, as a as auditioned as a cast member. Um, I might get the years wrong here, but I had. So I got hired to write in 2012. Okay, And I think two years before that, 2010. I had screen tested, so it's it is that thing that you've seen Fallon do or whatever, where you go. You were trying to be a cast member first. Hey, they asked. You know, they said, "Do you really? want to?" Yeah, they said, "Do you want to do?" It? I mean, trying to be a cast member. I mean, that's yeah, it's like you're trying to go to the moon, right? Like a lot sure. of people have to be on your team. A lot of things have to go right. Uh -huh. But um, yeah, I was lucky enough to screen test for them. So that's the process of putting together your five to seven minutes. Again, I'm, I'm I don't remember the, the mm -hmm. specifics, but. Uh, you put together your like one man character stuff essentially, and then do it on stage for them. And um, they're all kind. Of, you're on the main stage. They're all kind of behind, you know, off stage, down, kind of in the dark. And you see like the light for their pens, and you know the little pen thing going on. And you just yeah, they've got the real camera going on the jib and everything. And it's really meant to um, kind of simulate as close as possible of what it's like to be on the show, like. Like the pressures on purpose, you know, mm -hmm. like the, you're doing live TV yeah. um, or simulating it for the audition. And, yeah, I mean, I thought that went all right. I did some fun stuff. Like it, it's not like I've been doing one-man characters for 20 years, sure. you know, at the time, 10, I guess. I Like I took ideas that I'd done in sketch shows with other people and stuff like that. I did like – they needed a certain number of impersonations. I remember I did I did Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> did you? Yeah, I did. They need impression. So I did Gordon Ramsay doing Kitchen Nightmares at like Jekyll and Hyde, like a spooky <laughs> restaurant. You know, it's like angry at the werewolf. You know, where the fuck's that fucking werewolf? Kind of my life. So You're I, good. Like you know, where you know. So I screen tested for that in I guess 2010 ish, and then um, didn't get it. Obviously, uh, Taryn I think got it that year. But did you get far? It seems like you got pretty far in the process even to kind of get onto the stage like that. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And was Lauren Michaels one of the people? Oh, that of course. Were... Yeah. It's that. It's that. Wow. It's that. You're on the stage with the camera doing your bits, to, playing to the, the 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 senior writers and Lauren and, wow. and everybody else there. Yeah. Talk about some pressure. That's it's yeah. like, all right, time to be funny, right? All right, time to be funny. Yeah. When the huh. camera goes red, that's your cue to yeah. start. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't get it, obviously. I, uh, and then I I don't know what I did, did the following year. I didn't – I mean, it's one of those things like it's so obvious in retrospect, but some friends of mine who worked there, and when I told people that I screen tested – People were like, well, did you submit a writing packet too? I was like, no. And they go, well, you know, a lot of times when they screen test somebody, if they submit as a writer, they'll hire them as a writer. I said, oh, yeah, mm. I have heard that. Didn't think it would have – just don't know why I didn't think to do it. I mean, it's criminally stupid to not do that. <laughs> but um, it was one of those things where it's just like somebody has to say it. And then you go, oh, yeah, they do do that. So then the next summer – um, when they, when it was there, I got somebody to get me the packet. I forget who I might've had an agent at that point. So then I was just doing the normal thing. It's like, you know, trying to put together a daily show mm. writer's packet, trying to, anytime that they were hiring daily show correspondent, I try and take a hard run at that. And then when SNL came around, they just got the packet, write the packet. And then how it, it's not that exciting. I mean, it's actually kind of like just kind of a grind. Like yeah. I was working, I was teaching improv at a theater festival up in Western Massachusetts. Okay. I had most of my days free. I wrote the packet. I did write that packet up there. I remember doing it up there, submitted it. And then like anything, you just, uh, that would have been late June or July that I uh -huh. submitted the packet. And then um, kind of out of nowhere in early September, they were like, well, you're going to come have a meeting with Lauren. It's like, hmm. Okay. That's normal. So I like talk to my friends. I've had so many friends who've either worked there or um, 
probably coming up from the improv world, right? Yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I directed Kate McKinnon's one-woman sketch show before she got SNL. That was, I like, see. the last thing she did before SNL. I would do a weekly show with Ratio Sands a lot. I would do... Um, John Lutz was a, a friend of mine, and I would do... I would perform with a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I knew other people there. Chris Kelly, Sarah Schneider were, were both there. I just kind of knew everybody. I knew Seth Meyers huh. from doing a, a, a show at UCB, an improv show he would do. I knew Polar of course a lot of my friends were on 30 rock so yeah you know you just it's new york it's kind of a small world so i knew a lot of people to sort of ask for advice and people to kind of set me straight on what to expect and all that so yeah i they told me i had a meeting with lauren i showed up (laughs) um had met with like some of the senior writers ahead of time um went in had a brief meeting with lauren he was very polite very you know business-like you know he's um uh, a really interesting guy and you know he's the big boss yeah yeah at, at that place and kind of operates it in a more kind of more traditional way like he is the boss sure. like a, you know almost like i mean right like 30 rock it's like alec baldwin right it's mm-hmm. like not in terms of his personality or demeanor but it's like there's no question who the boss is sure. at, at this place yeah and um and it's kind of old-fashioned that way it's like bullpen of he's got like three secretaries out front then all and then you go down the hall and then into there and then you wait there and then you wait and then you wait and Lauren then finally you go into the room okay. and then yeah it's that uh-huh. kind of thing so it's it's real old-fashioned that way and i guess that like some people in the arts like when people talk about it they talk about it as being this like massively intimidating thing and in a way it is but it's intimidating like i don't know meeting the president of the bank it's just yeah. that old-fashioned way where the architecture of the building is supporting the authority of the person <laughs> in the corner <laughs> office and just you know and and i had a good a good meeting with him and then the funniest part was that the 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 meeting ended and he said and i quote he goes well everyone else seems to want you here so that's fine <laughs> and then he just sort of turned away and i was like well i guess i'm leaving and that was my cue to leave and i was like okay everyone else seems to want you here so that's fine <laughs> you remember exactly what yeah. he said uh-huh. everyone else seems to want you here so that's <laughs> fine it's like that sounds like i got the job so but i had a show to do that night i had a 7:30 show on a wednesday night down at ucb in the east village with my friend anthony tamanick and um, we were just about to go on stage, and then I got the call from Seth Myers, and he goes, "That's his way of saying you got it. So you you you're come in next, come in Monday." Wow! Yeah. Pinch me, huh? Yeah. This is really happening. Yeah, yeah. So then you, uh, what is it? They sign you for a season. Is that how the contracts usually work with SNL? Or it's all Writers Guild. Okay. Um, so the Writers Guild, when you're getting paid scale. Again, this is all written down. This is Googleable, mm-hmm. but they have they hire you. I think for thirteen weeks. That's okay. what they have to hire you for. It's thirteen weeks, and then with a pickup for the rest of the season. I see. And it's thirteen calendar weeks. People at higher levels, writer, producers, super, you know, people in supervising positions tend to get paid per episode. So then, what they're they're um, get they have a quote per episode. So I it's see. Just one Got of those it. little things. Got it. Um, and so now you're like, okay, let's get to work here. Mm-hmm. So you show up now where you living, you said you were in Massachusetts when you got that. So were you out there or visiting I, or were you living in Massachusetts at the time? No, I just wrote the packet in Massachusetts. So I, I had, I'm trying to think if I told the story publicly. So I, Ooh, we're going to get something juicy here. It is. I mean, it's juicy in that sort of like struggling artist in New York way is mm-hmm. I had my, I lived in an apartment at 28th street and eighth Avenue in New York And uh, I was month to month and then my landlord raised my rent and it just broke the bank. It was like, I forget what it was, but he like wanted to, and Chelsea was like, I knew it could happen someday, but you never expect it. Mm -hmm. And then that was like, it was like 30 days rent increase on April 1st. And I was like, there's just no way. And I knew that if I could make it to June, then I can go up and teach in Massachusetts Uh and they'll put you up. And I used to do that every year. It's the Williamstown Theater Festival, which mm-hmm. is this awesome summer stock theater program that sends a lot of shows to Broadway and off-Broadway and stuff like that. And it was this great gig that I got through my friend Ryan Carls, who got it uh, through Alex Timbers, who like directs every show on Broadway mm-hmm. um, these days. is a genius. We, so it was just this great gig where we would just teach improv in the morning from like 8 till 10 and then just be done. Hmm. So it was like we teach at 8 a.m. or 8.30 and then like a, a 10 or 11 class. And then we just like just wander the Berkshires, you know, just <laughs> hike and, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, watch, look at the cows. 
but so I lived out of my car. I was like, I, I, li- I moved all my stuff into storage and I just like couch surfed and lived out of my car and just did other stuff for April and May. And then in mid to late June, I, um, went up to, to Williamstown mm-hmm. and then I was there through July. So I wrote the packet up there. And then when I came back, I had a sublet in Williamsburg, my friend, Nick Kocher, who's, uh, who actually wrote for us now for a season, a couple of years after me, um, Nick, Nick had a, uh, was going out to LA. So he had a sublet. So I just sublet his apartment in Williamsburg. So I was living in Williamsburg, but I was like there for Sandy. So that was pretty wild. Oh, like I, I was there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I was in Williamsburg for Sandy, so I needed to get to 30 Rock, and it was kind of tough. <laughs> there was no L train. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so there was not a lot of things kind of happening in New York at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you started the, your gig at, at SNL. Yeah. Right. Um, do you just start writing? Like, well, how does it how does it all happen then? Right. Yeah, I showed up. I shared an office with um, Bobby Moynihan, who's a very old friend of mine. He and I had. We'd done college shows together for years on the road. And I mean, I met him, I probably met him when I was 19 or 20. Like mm-hmm. he was one of the first people I knew at UCB. And uh, yeah, we were always good friends. So I was. it was awesome that I got to share an office with him. We both, st- we, we had both like quit smoking at some point in our lives. But then when we were sharing an office, we both started smoking <laughs> again, which is, you know, an error um, in your, in your, early thirties. Uh, mm-hmm. but so we started smoking again, which was funny mm-hmm. and kind of old fashioned. Like Keenan said to me one time and Mike O'Brien made fun of me too, is our office was this like weird throwback, me and Bobby's office. Mm-hmm. I had a, like a buckling spring mechanical keyboard that I brought from home. Cause mm-hmm. I don't like, I like real you keyboards. Have a certain way to, yeah, totally. yeah. Uh-huh. I don't like my, uh, joints, uh, taking the full impact of each keystroke. I like uh-huh. the spring. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, Unicomp, a great company in uh, Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, has the patent to the IBM Model M. So plug mm-hmm. plug for them. But anyway, the, the, Mike O'Brien and Keenan both made fun of me because I, I like got the newspaper every day and I'd like read the newspaper on my couch. We had like an ashtray. So Bobby and I would always be smoking in there. But then because of that, we'd have the window open. Mm-hmm. And then I had like a radio. I like background noise, you know, mm-hmm. so I'd have like the radio on. People were like, it's like walking into like his girl Friday. It's like walking <laughs> into like an office in 1940. There's like a clicky, clicky typing. People just casually smoking, you know, WNYC on. And it's like a gust of cold air coming mm-hmm. from the, the window. So, but, you know, a small pile of newspapers, all that. <laughs> so, yeah, you just show up and you just write. So it, the thing that's documented everywhere is true. You pitch to the host in Lauren's office Monday, Tuesday. Um, you know, you some people stay and write Monday night. Tuesday, everybody writes all day and use that's the one that's like the one that goes all night. You know, mm-hmm. the schedule's designed for people on uppers in the 70s, even though, <laughs> you know, that's not really around anymore. I'd sleep there a lot. Not always, but I'd sleep there a lot. Um, and then the big table reads the next day on Wednesday. You wait all day for that. You read you read stu- your stuff at the table. Sometimes your stuff gets cut before it even gets read as the like super junior writer. That happened a lot to me, but it's all just par for the course. It's just what it is, mm-hmm. you know? So like sometimes I, I remember Seth Meyers told me early, said like every week, write something that's like for the show. That's like is what you think would fit on the show. So for a lot of times that would be like a game show piece or like an update, a weekend update piece or something like that. And then you go and then write something that you're really excited about. So at minimum every week, I try to write something that I thought would just like check a box or fill a slot on the show. So you're writing like three pieces each week? Four. Three or four pieces? I would typically write four. Okay. Because a lot of times at least two of mine would get cut. I see. And then if I only had two, like it would be a little, again, this is like, this is how it works. So it's like, you know, speaking of playing in the big leagues or whatever, it's like, you know, you might warm up and then never pitch. Like it's just the way it works. Um, But yeah, sometimes it would be like, okay, I'm going to write, two things I'm really excited about. And then I'm going to write like an update piece that was like a cast member's idea for them, like mm-hmm. taking their idea and writing it. And then I'm going to write like some like wild pie in the sky thing that I think could be like a pre-tape or something like that. And then they cut everything but the update piece. Interesting. Right. So you just have to be prepared for that. Now you could bring it back the next week, but then who's the host going to be next week, et cetera, et cetera. It could just be, you know, you just like, I mean, all of television writing, this isn't particular SNL, but all of television writing is just writing into the garbage. Yeah. You're just, you're just writing it. The printer might as well be connected to the shredder. You just write and then it's trashed. And wow. that's just, you can't be too precious about it. But uh-huh. there, especially it's like not knowing you stay up all night, write for 
four things. And then when you see the list of what's getting read at the table read, it's like, oh, well. And have you ever been really bummed? Like you're like, oh my God, this is going to be the best. Uh, he, they're going to love this one. And it just gets tossed out. Um, like, to, I, I would try not to be too bummed. It's it's like, it's it's the normal disappointments of a job it is. like that. Yeah, it's, it's like normal. auditioning for acting jab. Right? If you, you let it get to you, after it's happening once or twice, you're probably making a mistake and just not doing the job because the mm -hmm. job is to just crank it out and let them do what they want with it, including nothing. Yeah. So yeah. I, I had a question. So with Saturday Night Live, like uh, like with some of the hosts, right? Some of them yeah. come on with like hilarious monologues, mm -hmm. right? Are they writing that themselves or is there like a cast member or a writer that's writing that for them? They're usually pretty involved, the hosts. They are. Um, and then because ours was the smoking office, I got to meet a lot of the hosts because <laughs> a lot of them decided to have their smoke uh -huh. <laughs> while they were working <laughs> one week. Don't smoke anybody. I happily quit uh, uh, while I was there. I quit again and never started again. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, the host a lot. It depends on who the host is, you know. Mm -hmm. Seth McFarlane has a team of writers from Family Guy and probably uh, – came in with whatever concept he wanted to do, whether it was a song or, or whatever. Other people, they're actors and they go, you you know, you guys do it. Somebody like Louis C.K. or, um, you know, a stand-up is probably going to write, you know, stuff. Bill Burr clearly wrote all his stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's really whatever the host wants. And and the monologue approach is pretty, would was pretty above my pay grade at that time. Like nobody was coming to me to see if I wanted to collaborate with the host and write the monologue. I, I was see. too junior. I was the only, the only new writer they hired that year. So, but the head writers, certainly Lauren, if the host has any idea, they're more than open to it. But for the most part, uh, the, it's it's written by writers on the staff. And I know that the cast gets swapped out every couple of years. Mm -hmm. And is there any writers that have been there for 30 years? There, yeah, there are some very senior writers. Paula Pell still has an office there. And she, okay. I, 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 to this day, I don't know if she does, but I know she's welcome to come any week she wants. Huh. And there's some um, hosts like Timberlake and stuff that she'll be sure to come back for. I see. Kent Sublette's been there a while. I couldn't say how long. James Anderson has been there for a long time. Uh, Downey is still there and he's been there since like the beginning. Hmm. Um, is that right? Yeah. He's been there for a long, long time. And I, I don't know if he still comes in, but he did my year. Um, yeah. So there, there are, there are people who've made their whole career writing for that show and are still there. And cool. that's great. And then other people who are more in my position. Yeah. We cycle through. Awesome. Yeah. See, I'm learning, man. I love, <laughs> I'm a fan of this show, but when you hear it from the opposite side of like what it takes to actually put a show on like that. Yeah. It's a very exciting place to work. Yeah. Sure. The, I, there's a couple times. I mean, the, the, like there was one time where we did a sketch. It was me. It was an idea that me and Bobby and Cecily had to get everyone in the cast on stage at once. So mm -hmm. we did it that they were all uh, McDonald's employees um, working at Adam McDonald's and, and it was Anne Hathaway was the host. Uh -huh. And um, Nassim had gum that she was supposed to have. And and the way the sketch played is that they would, as, as everybody in the cast got named. So the premise was Bobby and Cecily were like telling off everybody that they worked with at McDonald's now that they were getting fired. I see. So it was just kind of a joke parade as they'd go to each person in a single to react to being told <laughs> off, right? Um, so Nassim had gum and her whole thing was that she was going to be like, you know, like I forget what the line was, but it was like something like who cares or I don't care or something like mm -hmm. kind of like teen girl attitude. Mm -hmm. And right before the sketch, like we were at commercial, she didn't have the gum. So I ran from the stage out the big barn doors to the page desk right there and got gum from the drawer of that desk. It was mm -hmm. just some intern's gum. Okay. And then ran back in, took the slice out, handed it to Nassim, and my hand left frame right as we came Ooh, back from wow. commercial. And it's like, that's live TV. <laughs> you know, as soon as the light goes red, there's 7 million people watching. And it's like, good thing I got that gum. There you go. <laughs> Save the day. Just in time, you know. So what were some of your favorite sketches that you uh, either wrote or participated in writing? Um, Let's see. Um, I wrote the first thing that I got on air with Bobby was a very silly sketch where we had Jeremy Renner on for I guess the first Avengers mm -hmm. the joke of it was as simple as he runs out of arrows and he's like all right that's it for me guys I'll see you. like he <laughs> shoots his last arrow and then he's like great but it was that kind of I'm not sure it was the funniest thing I've ever written with people but it it 
is one of those SNL magic things where everybody get the costume department, all the departments get to shine because they build the set of mm-hmm. like the New York battle from the first Avengers. They, they, you know, they make McKinnon black widow. They, you know, they make uh, 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 oh man, I can't remember. It's a great <laughs> picture of it on the wall. Uh-huh. Um, but they, you know, they, they have everybody is in the cast. They, they build the Avengers costumes and all that. And then they have Renner do it. So that was like, killer that's awesome um i was just the writer attached to that so it wasn't like i was um like it wasn't really my idea it was bobby's idea but that was the first thing that i that i like took took from the page through the process of getting it produced camera rehearsal thursday or friday dress rehearsal notes after dress where you got like 45 minutes to rewrite it for Mm -hmm. air and all that process. And that's a you know huge learning experience. Sure. And then the first thing that I got on air that was all mine, um, and I had Mike O'Brien attached to it. He he wrote wrote it, um, wrote it with me as well. But it was like my initial idea that I pitched to Louis C.K. was just a very like textbook, like Monty Python style sketch where it was Bobby checking out of a hotel and Louie like itemizing the extra charges that were on the hotel bill. Um, and it was like, I mean, it was very like ABC, like kind of formula sketch comedy, but mm-hmm. people liked it. It went well. Lauren pitched a joke for it, which I added, which I thought was super cool. Okay. And, um, and I took that from, I mean, it really is just the most textbook sketch, but it was mine, got it on air. It did well. The, Seth told me to, um, that it would make the rerun. Mm-hmm. So afterwards, they, they, if the if the sketch is going to make the the like whatever it is the fifty minute cut for the hour reruns mm-hmm. that they do sometimes, the writers watch both dress and air and kind of like pitch what they thought was better because they can edit the sure. two takes from mm-hmm. uh, dress and air and do it. I was like, okay, so that's a, that's a win. That's a you know? huge that's win. That's a success. Yeah. And then um, and then that was it. So that was a big one. Those that's those are my two favorites because it's like the magic of the show. And then, um, and then just really feeling like something that was all mine got on, and then, and then, yeah. But after the new year, I'm trying to think, the Christmas episode. Well, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, then I got very little on the back half of the year. Things got sort of shuffled, shuffled around. Seth left to go do late night, uh, and um, and then uh, I didn't get too much on tour for the back half of the year, and uh, and that was it. So that was my year at SNL. Cool. Yeah. Well, knowing that you'd be here, we've got a, uh, a SNL trivia game that we're oh, going to play. I'm not going to be good at this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she made it that hard. I couldn't remember the cast members who played the superheroes in a sketch that I wrote and produced. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Which two women were the first female co-host of the Weekend Update? Oh, uh, uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. See? Yeah. They're starting That's off strong. Era. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Starting off strong. Mm-hmm. According to Burt Reynolds, what is a funny name? Oh, uh, Turd Ferguson? Yes. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding. Nice job. My name is Matt Foley, and I'm a motivational speaker. I am blank, blank, and I live in a van down by the river. You've got that part. Do you remember how old he was? Oh, no. 33? Close. 35. 35. Trice divorced. Trice divorced, yeah. And I live in a damn van by the river. Oh, so you got part of that, right? Who was the first person to say, live from New York, it's Saturday night? Was it Carlin? No, the first episode. Um, Andy Kaufman? I'll give you three three okay. guesses. Yeah. Not Andy. Okay. His name Paul was, Simon? His name was already referenced once in this uh, podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. He's the first person. Che- Chevy Chase. Oh, Chevy Chase. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that either. Mm-hmm. On what date, If you even if you get the year correct, I'll give it to you, uh, did Saturday Night Live first air? In 79. 75. Oh, 75? Was it really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know, I could have done that math because I know I was there for season 38 and that was 2012, 2013. Yeah. I should have just sat here quietly and done math. (laughs) October 11th. Cool. Which of the following actors were never a cast member? Joan Cusack. She was. Michael J. Fox. He was not. (laughs) Process of elimination here. Robert Downey Jr. He was. And Ben Stiller. He was not. 
or was Stiller on? Was Stiller on was. in the in the Julie Louis Dreyfus years? I think he was. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah. yeah. So it's Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. What was the last name of Craig, the Spartan cheerleader? Oh, that's funny. That's my era too. I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> Buchanan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Does not even ring a bell. Sadly. Craig Buchanan, the Spartan cheerleader. Funny bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cast. This cast member was known for his impressions, especially of singers. He co-hosted the weekend update on SNL and had a reoccurring sketch as Nick Burns, a sarcastic computer technician, before moving to host The Late Night and then The Tonight Show. Jimmy Fallon. There it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On April 22nd, 1978, episode of Saturday Night Live, host Steve Martin paid homage to which historical figure in a song? Can you repeat the beginning of that? Yep. April 22nd, 1978 episode of Saturday Night Live. Yep, Mm -hmm. exactly right. Christopher Walken's character, the Bruce Dickinson, had a fever. What was the only prescription for this fever? More cowbell. <laughs> see, you did you did okay. Uh-huh. But you see, it's the sweet spot of my era there. So yeah, yeah. yeah Whitney, I think, kind of uh, loaded the questions a little Thank bit you, in Whitney. your favor. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Thanks. Yeah, I think you got pretty much all of them right for the most part. I think there was one. Chevy Chase was the one. Chevy that you Chase didn't I didn't get. get. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, pretty pretty good. And that wasn't your error. Was it Chevy Chase as Gerald Ford? Did he? You know, I don't know. I want to go back and watch it now. Uh I'm curious. I did that. I I went when I lived in New York, when I had gotten hired there and during kind of the first big break, I would go to the Paley Center there and I would watch some old SNL and then I'd watch like the the old your show of shows and like Sid Caesar and stuff like that. that. That was just sort of my way to sort of settle my mind a little bit. Just watch the, the way it had been done before and try to get some inspiration that way. Hmm. The coolest thing in that time is I remember I went to the Paley Center one time and then I was walking back from the Paley Center to the subway and I needed to use the bathroom and I just went up to Studio 8H, which was empty and dark and just used the bathroom because I had the key card, <laughs> you know, the company card. I was like, oh, you know, if, were, well. if I were this close to my office at any other job, I'd have no compunction about going in and using, the, using the bathroom. So <laughs> here I go. So I've got a couple of questions about like comedy. Uh-huh. Like, how do you know what's funny? Like, how does somebody know what's funny? Um, right, because it's so subjective, right? It is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's only funny when people laugh. You know, the audience is always right. So, um, as a writer, as a writer, you are kind of trying to make yourself laugh. As weird of a thing as that can be, like if I'm writing something, I'll kind of like chuckle to myself and write it. But then it's you get in front of an audience, it might still stink. Yeah. Like it's just kind of, you know, you you develop a sense for it over time. Like you develop your own compass towards what type of thing you can write. But yeah, it is subjective. I mean, there are rules. There's like rules of like one, two, three, right. Where it's like, if I, if I set up a pattern with the first two things I say, and then I break the pattern in a way that makes clear that we meant another pattern on the third, that's usually a laugh, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, um, you know, like, uh, you know, we need all the essentials for our camping trip, sleeping bags, tent, and these two huge googly eyes, you know, like that's the <laughs> rhythm of a joke, you know? Um, uh-huh. uh, uh, so there are things like that, you know, K words are funny. What's a K word? Just words that have a hard K sound like really? duck is funnier than bird a hundred percent of the time. Interesting. You I've know? never heard of that. Okay. Um, did somebody step on a bird is not funny. Did somebody step on a duck is funny. There it is. Right. That's just, wonder, it, that's danger. It, 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 interesting. But yeah, K words are funny. They just land hard and, and okay. then everybody laughs at all the same at the same time. Cause it, it, it hits harder, but yeah, it is. I mean, it's subjective. It's funny when people laugh. And if they do you think is comedy something that um, people learn or do you think people are most like like Will Ferrell? Like, is that mm-hmm. is that because he was taught comedy or it's just it's just him? It's like he was born with it. Well, I mean, I think everybody does. At so, I think everybody at some stage, whether it's as an actor or a writer or an improviser or whatever it is, does an impersonation of the people that they think are the funniest, you know? Mm-hmm. So like if you were to watch me doing like improv when I was like 24 is I'm like just straight up doing an Ian Roberts impersonation, you know? Mm-hmm. So like 
people's taste guides them to what they like. And then most people start, I mean, this is probably true of any, any, any kind of art or any kind of creative thing is like everybody starts as in it as with imitation, I mm-hmm. think, sure. or at least a lot of the time. So I would be curious, Will, Will Ferrell is clearly naturally incredibly talented. He's got this awesome comedy face where he kind of like looks like anybody, like he looks so normal. And but he also has that sort of like contained anger thing he can do. He has great eyes. So he's like blessed. (laughs) He's blessed genetically with a lot of tools to put to work. I would be curious what his like biggest influences are if I were talking to him. Um, And I bet you not certain of this, but I bet you that when he was starting out, he was like doing kind of some uh, some type of impersonation of the people that he really liked. Interesting. Or some combination, you know, everybody steals, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like. Borrow, you know, great. Uh, everybody borrows, but great artists steal, or that old cliche. Uh-huh. It's funny, but yeah, I think that every people get good by impersonation and by sort of trying to do what they see. Ira Glass has that great old quote that everybody has hung up these days, where it's like the first thing you have is your taste. Your taste guides you towards what you think is good. You try to do what you think is good. Your own abilities don't. Um, clear the bar that's set by your own taste. But if you, you know, continue to pursue it and are, are, um, are diligent about it, then eventually someday, maybe your, your, what you're able to produce will, um, almost match what you imagine mm-hmm. is like the best version of something out there. Sure. Know? Sure. I'm sure he said it in like two sentences and I just rambled it out, but that's the idea. <laughs> So now when you go about your day, right? Uh, like, do you, like, I imagine like a lot of inspiration just kind of, it's like Seinfeld, right? Like inspiration just kind of happens as you're walking in the grocery store and this and that. Is that where a lot of uh, your comedic kind of um, writing comes from? Just like things that happen naturally in the world or do you ever take notes? Do you carry a notebook with you and you see something funny happening or document it on your phone? Yeah, I do. I send myself a lot of texts. Sometimes it's ideas that would fit into like uh, something that I'm already working on, like a screenplay or something like that, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this would be good for that. Definitely when I have a job, uh, it, I'm my thinking is going to conform to whatever to that, that job is. Mm-hmm. You know, when yeah. I was doing Hot Dog with Whitney, I was paying a lot more attention to dogs on the street I saw and <laughs> thinking about <laughs> dog jokes and things like that. So, you know, I know if I'm working on a dog show, I, I don't need to force myself. I'll just naturally be drawn to whatever's going to inspire the next, um, you know, the, the next dog joke I want to make. Um, so, yes, I, I text myself regularly. I have like a note capturing app. I use Evernote. And um, I have that like hooked to my phone so I can just like text myself something and then it'll just all be in a not it'll all be in a non email inbox uh-huh. to deal with at some point. And yeah. then if I'm working on a show or have a deadline or something, I'll typically have a notebook that's devoted to that. And I just sit and try to grind out whatever I got to do before people tell me that I'm late. And do you do you have a place where you like to write or do you kind of travel? You do coffee shops or I do. I mean, pandemic stuff, notwithstanding, I do like to go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, my, I, I have a wife and a five-year-old son and I don't have a play. I don't have like an office at home or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I have a, like a, a corner for my computer, but I don't really, I don't work at home a lot. And it's, that's just not what it's for. If my family's there, I'm not going to be like, go away. I'm trying to be <laughs> funny over here. Um, trying to be funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've always, I travel. Um, I'm a pilot. I have a little plane. Really? Um, yeah. And I fly it. Sometimes I go to like weird places to do that. Like I, I needed to write. It was a multicam pilot that I really needed to finish. So I went to like, I flew to like Vegas for that. Hmm. I'm pretty good at that discipline. I'll stay somewhere. I'll like wake up right from like nine till like 11. Then I'll go in the pool, take a swim, come back up. Right in the hotel like, room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right, right from like one to four and then like reward myself with like, you know, a sandwich or maybe a, <laughs> you know, a nice cut of meat or something. I'll go out to the desert sometimes like Borrego Springs. All right. Um, I don't do that all the time. That's usually what I got to do when I have some like unbelievable deadline where yeah. I really need, you need like, to force yourself yeah. to be accountable. I wrote yeah. a book with my friend, Anthony Tamanek. And at the end of it, it was clear to me that I was really doing the, the, the lion's share of like the last round of kind of copy editing. Mm-hmm. And I needed to get a, just a hotel room out in Van Nuys 
I got like the hotels tonight. Like I got like a $50 room at the Holiday Inn Express and just exploded that hotel room with paper (laughs) and just did the last pass, cut stuff, move stuff around. And Mm -hmm. then the next day, put it all back in the document and sent it to HarperCollins. And that was like, phew. Uh Um, So it's kind of like a vacation, but it is kind of like I've got a mission to accomplish. I get somewhere that I've always wanted to go, even if it's a little weird. And then it's like, yeah, you got to put in the full the full day, and then if you achieve it, then you can reward yourself with something like you know, you know, a cocktail or a way. steak or yeah. something like that. I wait know? the last minute to do things, and then force myself to go somewhere else where and, I don't have any distractions and yeah. just get it done. Yep. Yeah, yep. same way. So, so we've talked a lot about the behind the camera stuff, um, but you're also an actor. Mm-hmm. Do you still uh, are you still in front of the camera these days? Or yeah, it's one of those things that. I've um I feel very lucky that people that my phone rings in that regard. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy it. I just did a a pretty small part in um this uh miniseries they're making about Watergate for HBO called White House Plumbers with Justin Thoreau and Woody Harrelson. So that had me going to New York and Washington DC and that was pretty funny. We were doing these like big crowd scenes outside the real Watergate courthouse and we were, it was like 80 degrees in DC, but we were all wearing these like huge winter coats. I was just I there, was like, yeah. actually. You guys were there while I was there. That's yeah. funny. You guys across, were... the, from, across from the building with that bird statue. Yeah, because I was yeah. I was there for a conference and they said it was like a plumber show. Yeah, that's yeah. us. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you guys, at the same yeah. exact time. It yeah. was right in front of the Lincoln Monument, I think, is where I was at the time. When it, they were the production might have been there. That wasn't my okay. day, but I bought I it. Yeah. 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 yeah, we were down at the the, the courthouse. But mm-hmm. so anyway, yeah, I've always, I when I was in New York in the old days, I would do commercials. You know, I was just kind of working, working actor as much as possible. I did a series on Adult Swim in like 2006. That was like the first thing that I really did on TV. Um, and then, yeah, it's just get a little bit of work here and there, whatever it is. And then post SNL, when I was in Los Angeles, um, I just got to do, you know, a, a million different shows and everyone's a treat. So yeah, yeah keep them coming, man. I, I love it. And and Whitney was talking about Champagne. Mm-hmm. Champagne yeah. Ill. Yeah. yeah. What just is came that? out on Hulu. Yep. So um, the brilliant David Casp, uh, the Libmans who are, um, they're, they're brothers, they're writers, they're awesome. They did like, Marry Me and Happy Endings and all that stuff, which were all great shows. They did a show that was on YouTube called or YouTube Premium or YouTube Red or whatever they settled on before they stopped doing it entirely uh, called Champagne Ill. It's a very funny comedy. It stars Adam Pally and Sam Richardson. And um, uh, the premise of it is that these two idiots are in the entourage of a super famous a hip hop artist played by Jay Farrow, and then he dies accidentally and suddenly, and they're left basically with nothing. Hmm. And I play um, the uh, Jay Farrow's character's music manager named Craig. So I'm just there to be, you know, delivering mostly bad news to these guys that <laughs> there's no money and they're flying coach, and you know the shoe sponsorship is gone and all that uh-huh. stuff, and that their clothing lines were making no money anyway, and mm-hmm. things like that. So mm-hmm. I'm 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 there as the straight man. I'm there to be the downer, though they do have me do some pretty goofy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's it was great. We shot that in Atlanta. Oh, I don't I don't even know when that was. I mean, it was pre-pandemic, obviously. So that would have been in 2019, maybe. Okay. We shot it. But yeah, it was awesome. Fly to Atlanta. Shoot some comedy, come home. Love it. Can't wait to watch it. So yeah, that's it's, Netflix. It's on Hulu. Hulu. Now. So it was YouTube and then it just appeared on Hulu, which is awesome. So it yeah. just appeared on Hulu. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, what we're going to do, well, first of all, family. So you said you're married, mm-hmm. have a five year old. Married, have a five year old boy. Yep. Okay. How yep. long have you been married for? Um, uh, About five years. <laughs> is that yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, is your wife in the industry too? Yeah, she's a stand-up comic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. What's that like having like me and my wife are complete opposite. So oh, really? like having a wife that kind of is funny like you yeah. must be pretty interesting. We're we're like we're kind of different in sensibility. Like, uh, but yeah, I mean, we make each other laugh a lot. I mean, she's very very funny. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, yeah, she she performed. I mean, again, pandemic stuff. Like as those shows are coming back, she's booked on a lot of them and that kind of thing. So that's all great. And she writes as well. She wanna writing contests and pitches or she's got a great show idea that she pitches around and all that stuff. So yeah, we're just, you know, we're both in the biz. Cool. Awesome. And what's your son's name? Eamon Casey. Eamon. What's, what's he into? I know he's only five. He's real into Spider-Man. Okay. Real into dinosaurs. Um, 
outer space rocket stuff yeah moon moon landing all all good stuff uh but yeah he's real into spider-man right now yeah just like yeah spider-man underpants spider-man <laughs> pants spider-man costume spider-man hat spider-man socks spider-man uh spider-man for halloween he's got a spider-man bike <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've got uh, I've got um, a 19 year old, a 17 year old, and we start over. So we got a five year old. Oh, my wow. wife and I've been married 23 years. Wow, amazing! So when my son Zach was maybe like seven years old, how your son is into Spider Man? Mm -hmm. My son was the Little Mermaid. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of interesting because he had a Little Mermaid pillow and mm -hmm. a Little Mermaid whatever TV, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, on his birthday, we had to go get a Little Mermaid cake. <laughs> so good luck uh, yeah. picking, like, what's your daughter's name? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Zach. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, that movie's uh, a hit, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was a hit. Yes, it was a hit. So this next part of the episode is what we call connection questions. Okay. I'm just going to ask you some questions and you just say what's on your mind. Okay, sure. Simple. Does pineapple belong on pizza? I don't particularly like it, but I don't object to it. You don't object people to it? People want to do it. Some yeah, it doesn't feel wrong like, to me. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. if you grew up in like New York uh, and yeah. It's like immortal. I'm not Italian. You know, it's uh -huh. like I, I, the people who are purists about it, they they come by it naturally, I think. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I don't like pineapple on pizza, um, but it's like a cilantro thing, right? Like some people, it's just they try it hate it. it's just disgusting to them. What yeah. is your go-to topping on pizza? Just pepperoni, if Just anything. Just pepperoni. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Garlic and sausage if I'm at the right kind of place. Like if I'm at a real, like if I'm at Palermo in, in Los Feliz or um, like, a, you know, if I were back in New York in Brooklyn or something mm -hmm. like that, getting a little fancier, I would do like garlic sausage, maybe some peppers, that kind of thing. But like in LA, yeah. just pepperoni. Yeah. yeah. Toilet paper. Should it go over or under when you pull it? Um. It has to go over. Yeah. Yeah. I think over. there's a patent about yeah. that. And yeah. they actually proved it to go yeah. over. Yeah. I think so. Over. Yeah. What's invisible, but you wish people could see? What's invisible, but you wish people could see? Oh, that's interesting. Um, Uh, I mean, all scientific phenomena, right? Like radio waves would be cool if you could see like the graphic of the antenna on top of the planet pulsing the radio out. And you'd say, oh, well, it's blinking out, <laughs> blinking out an interesting station. That would be kind of cool. Um, dark matter so that we it would be visible so that we would know that it's not real. Mm -hmm. um, what else? Yeah. that's uh, My I, first thought goes like feelings. Uh-huh. Right? Like when your wife gets mad at you, you're like, what is she mad about? And mm -hmm. everything that comes to her mind is like spitting out visually. Mm -hmm. like a you TV wish you could set. see the aura. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Then you could fix it, right? <laughs> can't fix what you can't see or hear. If animals could talk, which animal would be the rudest? Which animal would be the rudest animal? <laughs> um, it's like, what kind of questions are these? What kind of, what would be the rudest the rudest uh -huh. animal. Well, hmm. I mean, I know animals that are rude already and they can't talk, right? Like cats are rude as hell. Um, <laughs> I, would, uh, I would agree with that. Cats are, you know, cats would be even ruder. Yeah, M monkeys could be kind of rude. They're right? already pretty rude. Yeah. They just throw their poop at you. Yeah. They just toss poop at you and be like, uh -huh. heads up. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A cat would like, you'd know that the cat could talk and then it would still give you the silent treatment and mm -hmm. that would feel worse because you'd know that the cat was capable of talking. <laughs> like you. Yeah. What's a super ridiculous fact that you know? Okay. Here's a super ridiculous fact that I know. And this okay. is also about the human mind. There's a guy who got in a car accident and it severed the left side of his, his left hemisphere from his right hemisphere, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Pain, bad. But he essentially became two different people that you could communicate with by showing just one eye a message. Both sides could read. Same thing. You could whisper something in his ear, left or right. And and uh, they did this the, these experiments on him. And only the, the left brain could talk. So the left brain is the only one that can speak out loud. But the right brain could like be like point to the chicken. And with the left hand controlled by the right brain, it'd point to the chicken. Hmm. And then they'd go... Uh, so the other one, they go point to the shovel and he'd point to the shovel. And then they'd ask him out loud. They go, 
why are you pointing to the shovel? And he would go, oh, you need the shovel to clean out the chicken coop. Hmm. Think about that. Yeah. Right? So then they would tell the right brain that can't talk. They'd say, stand up and walk to the door. And he'd stand up and walk to the door. And then verbally, they'd ask him, they go, where are you going? And the left brain, which is the only one that can talk, would go, I'm thirsty. I want to cook. <laughs> so the phenomenon that is true is that a lot of times you have no idea why you're doing anything that you're doing. And when asked, you'll just make up an answer that you yourself will believe. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Here's an easier question. What's the best type of cheese? Um, I mean, all around just improving everything. I just have to go with mozzarella. Yeah. Great on a sandwich. Great on great. Just on a tomato with a basil leaf. I think so. So good. Although I think provolone is my go-to. I like a sharp provolone. Yeah. I like blue cheese too. Goat cheese. Oh, I hate blue cheese. That's oh, like, like blue cheese? that's like cilantro, right? I, can, I like cilantro, but blue cheese, ugh, Got it. not my thing. Mm -hmm. Is there a kid's movie or a movie that you've seen as a kid that completely scared you? That scared me? Well, yeah. we referenced Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm -hmm. Chris, Christopher Lloyd is terrifying in that when it, uh, no spoilers, but he's the cartoon that killed the main detective's brother. Mm -hmm. um, that's really scary. Yeah, my brothers and I watched all these like video store rental movies. Like there was this super creepy movie that was Disney and it had Betty Davis in it and it was called Watcher in the Woods. And that scared the hell out of us. But I don't remember why it was like ghosts of kids yeah. in a house that the kids live in. Huh. And that I remember my brothers and I were like continued to reference through our childhood as like the scariest thing we'd ever seen. Hmm. So I remember that. For me, it was Children of the Corn. Mm -hmm. I don't know how or why somebody let me watch that when I was like eight years old. Mm -hmm. And that was like the thing that I would have like reoccurring bad dreams. Yeah. Like I'd be afraid to go to bed at night because I knew I was going to be dreaming about the children of the corn. And, wow. uh, Malachi, I think was the kid's name. Yeah. Right. Scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still fearful watching that, <laughs> man. If peanut butter wasn't called peanut butter, what would it be called? Um, cream <laughs> of peanut. Ooh. Sounds like a fancy, mm -hmm. fancy thing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. A lot more expensive in the grocery store. <laughs> what would be the worst buy one, get one free sale of all time? The worst. <laughs> you got to think about these questions. I do, yeah. The worst buy one, get one free <laughs> sale of all time. So you buy one, so you got to buy it, but then you get another one free. Um <laughs> Worst, buy one, get one. I'm taking these questions very seriously. <laughs> the worst, the worst one conceivable. Buy one, get one free of all time. I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of this, and I could even prep mm -hmm. for this if I wanted to. Wedding gown. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. That's really good. Although in this day's society, right, it might be okay to have a second one as a backup. Right, but yeah, it's not going to make the first one. Yeah, then you should have just bought one. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was good. Thanks. Who's the funniest person alive? Oh, who is the funniest person alive today? Oh, there's so many. Who is the funniest person alive today? Mm -hmm. I just, I'm just going to say Fred Armisen. Yeah. Yeah. He's just supernatural hmm. and funny, like, doesn't need anything written. Like, you can just go, like, own a room full of people immediately. And he's like, he's like speaking like Andy Kaufman or something like that. He's like supernatural mm. and effortless. I like it. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, I'd probably say John Mulaney, right? It's good, but he's super precise. Yeah. And super written. So and prepped, smart. Yeah. Right. And brilliant that way. Right. So I just two, seen two opposite poles. But yeah. Those, I those seen him in Vegas. Two. He did a he actually came and spoke to a group of like twenty five hundred lawyers. Cool. And he totally changed his whole bit. So yeah. it was very customized to that room, man. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you were arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume you had done? Wire fraud. <laughs> <laughs> There's the computer science uh -huh. kid. Yeah. Be some cryptocurrency Ponzi scam or something, maybe. I don't know. 
What would be the creepiest thing you could say while passing a stranger on the street? You're late. This has been so fun, man. Oh, thanks for having me. What yes. a blast. Yeah. I know your social media is pretty private. Yeah, my Instagram. I have an Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an Instagram. I, I couldn't tell you the last time I posted to it. No, huh? Um, yeah, I don't really do it. Yeah. So people keep up with you just by Googling you. I guess so. I don't think people keep up with. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe they should come and say stuff to me in the street. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I, I don't really have much of it. Um, I uh, I like doing stuff like this. I like doing podcasts and this and that and meeting mm-hmm. people and all that. But no, I'm I'm a pretty IRL person. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, awesome, man. Again, thank you so much for coming down. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm excited for everybody to hear this. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for letting me see the uh, inside of the Television Academy complex mm-hmm. here. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to take a picture of myself next to the Emmy statue. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. This has been the Jason Hennessy Podcast. This show is produced by Whitney Welsh and Jenna Kershaw. Engineered and edited by Josh Fisher and recorded at Hennessy Studios. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 